want to jump right into the Word. I want you to go uh, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24. Luke was a doctor. He's one of the disciples of Jesus. And uh, we're going to look at his account. We'll have it on the screen for you uh, as well. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Anybody grateful for that? Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words, listen to this, their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Can, can you imagine the chaos of this moment as you follow Jesus, Jesus born of a virgin, if that wasn't a miracle enough, Jesus raised, starts his earthly ministry. Now he's seen blind eyes open. He's seen paralyzed people get up and walk. In fact, he's even raised people from the dead. He announces to the disciples, not once, not twice, but three different times what was about to happen. Now I'm just going to let you know I, I can get a little judgmental when I look at the disciples and at the New Testament because I'm thinking... Jesus told you what was about to happen. He says, I am going to be arrested. I am going to be beaten. I am going to be killed. And I will rise again. Luke 24, it tells us that he was arrested. He was beaten. He was killed. And they come to the empty tomb and they say, what happened? I mean, I don't know if you can understand the, the uh, chaos of that moment or understand how in the world, after Jesus told them time in and time out, this is what's going to happen. When I'm not there, it's because I've rose. They came, he's not there, and they said, man, this is odd. This is, this is different. It says, when they ran back to the disciples and reported it to them, they as well said, yeah, that sounds like idle tales to us. It sounds like idle tales. And it says, and they did not believe them. In other words, it was too good to be true. You ever heard that, that phrase, if it sounds too good to be true, then it probably is? Then it probably is. Jamie and I, my wife and I, when we were first married, um, we didn't have any money. Um, like, like no money. But we, we, liked, we liked to go on vacation. The problem is you don't have any money. It's hard to go on vacation. Unless you're willing to sit through those timeshare presentations. So I'm like, baby, you got, the, you got to write one to me, okay? I might not have money, but I, I'm smart. You know, I just, I go sit through that 47-hour presentation. 
for a, a free appetizer and then we'll leave, you know. But that, I, we, we started going to these timeshare. I, I find out all the, all the timeshare presentations where we can get a free hotel here, free flight here. And, uh, and, and, and so we went to, I remember this last one that we went to, we're in there and it started feeling like a hostage situation. Like literally they were not going to let you leave until you signed up, which is interesting to me because we had no money. That's the reason we were sitting through their torture. And yet they're not letting us go. I literally told the guy at the very beginning, said, I'm going to save you time, I'm going to save us time. I'm here for the free night in the hotel. I'm not going to buy which, whatever you're selling. And he's like, well, I still have to do my, my presentation. I'm like, listen, save your breath, bro. Even if I wanted to buy it, I couldn't. I have no money. Which is interesting because the people that go to these presentations and sit through that, either you're really cheap or you don't have the money. It's like, but they're, man, they're going to, they're going to, I'm, we started thinking about our escape plan. Like, how do we, like, you get sick and uh, run, I'll come rescue, you know, well, we're trying to figure it out. So we made a pact that day, no more timeshare presentations. And a couple years ago, we were on vacation and, and I like just happened to look over and they were doing this presentation for like a free steak dinner. And literally it was like Jamie could feel my eyes wander. And she's like, no, 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 no. We do not. We do not do timeshare presentations. Because usually they sound too good to be true, and they, they probably are. At least for ones that we went to, they were too good to be true. Do you know this is what the disciples said? That's what their belief was. That sounds too good to be true. That Jesus that we loved, the Jesus we walked with, the Jesus that gave us hope, the Jesus that we believed in as more than just a man, but as a Savior, this Jesus has died and, and he's rose from the they, they couldn't believe it was too good to be true. And they said they thought it was idle tales. You know, one of my concerns right now about the church of Jesus Christ is for many people, they've not experienced God. They've only heard about God. So we create a lens in which we see God by what other people have told us about him, but we've never experienced him for ourselves. For some of us, we think that God doesn't do miracles because we heard somebody didn't get a miracle. We, we heard that God didn't do this for them or God didn't come through this way. And we hear little rumors of maybe God can, but then our own experience gets in the way of believing. And so sometimes we just look at God and we say, it just sounds too good to be true. Jesus told the disciples this was going to happen. Here's the series of events. For me, I'd like to think like, as soon as Jesus got arrested, I would have like sat down, put my GoPro on, just like filmed the whole thing. You know, like this is about to be good. He told us what was going to happen. They're going to beat him. He's going to die. And he's going to get out of the grave. I would have I set up camp right outside the grave like this is going to be good. Soldiers come. They roll the, the stone in front of the tomb. But the disciples, the Bible says they scattered. You know what's interesting about a resurrection is in order for it to be a viable eyewitness account of a resurrection, there has to be a couple things. Not just seeing the person that says that they died be raised again. You have to see them die. And the Bible says that at the cross, all of the disciples scattered. That they took off, except for John and the women. Now we read in Luke chapter 24, is it was the women who came to the tomb. So it was the women that witnessed Jesus die. It was the women that saw him buried in the tomb, and it was the women that saw the empty tomb and him resurrected. In order to be a viable eyewitness 
account, they had to see him die. They had to see him die. There's a couple elements of a resurrection that you have to, that, that are found in all four Gospels. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell about the resurrection. Each of them are written by a different person. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're written by a different author, which should have a different perspective or a different filter. If you and I saw the same car accident and we wrote a report about it, we would all report different things. Based on our life experiences, based on our personality, and this is what you find in the Gospels. At first glance, you would, see, you would think possibly that some of the stories contradict each other until you understand who the writer is and what they focused on. The, Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke the doctor. So he has attention to detail that some of the other Gospels don't have. But in all four Gospels, they all talk of the emptiness of the tomb. They all speak that the tomb, this is good news. The tomb does not hold a body. The tomb is empty. That means Jesus is alive. All four Gospels talk of the testimony of angels. So not just the tomb was empty, but the angels were there that testified that Jesus had risen. And all four Gospels talk about the witness of the women. And this is important because they were the ones that saw him they were the ones that saw him on the cross as he breathed his last. They were the ones that saw the, steer be, the spear being thrust into his side and water and blood being poured out. They were the ones that heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They were the ones that heard him say, it is finished, as he breathed his last and gave up his soul on the cross. They, they were the ones that were there, so they had to be the ones that saw him resurrected. And all four Gospels speak of their presence at the resurrection. There were theories that were being thrown around about what had happened to Jesus. Skeptics tried to answer for the resurrection. Some of them said that the body was stolen. They said, oh, the, the body was stolen. Well, we read in our text that the linen cloths that had wrapped Jesus were neatly folded. Can you imagine the grave robber coming in, taking the body, like, wait, Fold the linens. That's like, that's like a very scared child of a very angry mother. It was like, fold the linens before you take the body. The body was not stolen. Some skeptics say that the disciples imagined it. That they were so stricken with grief that they just imagined that Jesus rose and that they saw him. The only problem with this theory is that they never expected Jesus to rise. Even when the women came and said, he's risen, they're like, yeah, no, sounds like idle tales. And it says, and they did not believe. Some people say, skeptics say, that they, the disciples went to the wrong tomb. I got a couple problems with that. First of all, why wasn't there anybody in that tomb? Just thought about that just a little earlier today. Second of all, the angels went to the wrong tomb. The Roman soldiers went to the wrong tomb. And they put the stone in front of the wrong. I don't think all, all of them got it wrong. The only explanation for the empty tomb is that there was a man, Jesus, that was killed, that did die, that laid in that tomb, but on the third day conquered death, hell, and the grave, got up, and because he got up, you and I have an opportunity to step into relationship with Jesus because all of Christendom hinges on the proof of the resurrection. If Jesus doesn't rise, Christianity is just another religion. The fact that Jesus got up out of the tomb proves that we don't tell stories of a God that was. 
That we are not living in a historical past of what a God used to do. But we serve a God that is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He lived, he died, and he rose again. He rose again. What's difficult is that for many of us, we've not seen this or experienced this Jesus for ourselves. We've heard about him. It's our great-grandfather's tale. It's our parents' tale. It's the church's tale. It's, the, it's, it, it, it's, it's a religious leader's story. But for us, we've never experienced him for ourselves. And I started thinking about this. Who told you that God was too good to be true? Who told you that a miracle, believing for a miracle, was too good to be true? Who told you that having good news was too good to be true? Who told you that your sins couldn't be forgiven or that your sins being forgiven was too good to be true? Do you know that each of us are formed by the stories that we have been told? Our perspectives of life, our perspectives of church, our perspectives of religion are formed by the stories that we've been told. But it's interesting in the text that it says after the disciples were told and they did not believe that Peter, we read this in verse 12, Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. Now I like, I like to call this divine curiosity. Divine, it, it, divine curiosity is what if you grew up in church it would be the beginnings of faith. Divine curiosity asks the question, what if God could? That, that might be one of the most powerful questions that you ever ask of God is, what if he could save my soul? What if he could heal my heart? What if he could change my mind? What if he, what if he could? For most people, they never see God do a miracle because they never have the curiosity to ask if he would or if he can. But for Peter, I like Peter because Peter reminds, unfortunately, he reminds me a lot of myself. Peter can say the wrong thing at times. He puts his foot in his mouth a lot of times. He's, he's just, Peter's that guy. Everybody, has, everybody knows that guy. Peter's that guy. Jesus walks out on the water, and he's like, watch this. He's like, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's me. Come on out. Oh, man, I should have thought that through, you know. Like, i gotta, I got to, like, walk on the water. Peter's the guy that in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus after Jesus told them, I will be arrested, I will be killed, and I will raise from the dead. They came to arrest him. He pulled out a sword, and he cut off a servant's ear. He's that guy. He's that guy. Just so you know, they don't teach you to cut off ears. That means he missed. He's that guy, okay. <laughs> he, wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to just get an ear. It's just he was that, he was that guy. Peter... He's the guy that now, after he heard the story, he said, i got to go see for myself. It was the divine curiosity that brought him to the tomb to see if Jesus was still there. Curiosity asked the question. Curiosity. You can miss your miracle if you're not willing to look. You can miss your miracle just because you're not willing to look for it. What do you need of God? What, 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 what are you asking of God? You can miss it just because you're not willing to look. Curiosity wonders if it could be true. Curiosity wonders if things could change. Curiosity is the beginning, the embers of faith. If you never have the curiosity to look, then you'll never know what God can do. 
divine curiosity, but it didn't, didn't stop there. It says in the second part of verse 12, it says that he went into the tomb. It says, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths, the ones that were neatly folded, lying there by themselves. I like to call this divine courage. Curiosity asks the question. Courage takes the step. Curiosity prays the prayer. Courage checks to see if it's answered. Curiosity makes the demand. Courage tries to use what you just demanded. Curiosity makes the withdrawal. Courage tries to spend the money. It's, it, it, there's, the, these things go together. Faith is in its beginning stages is curiosity. But as it grows, it turns into courage to take a step. Peter had divine curiosity, but he also had divine courage to go into a place. Can you imagine this? To go into the place where Jesus had died, that he had been buried. And Jesus wasn't just like his buddy. Jesus was the hope for the disciples. He, he had become so much more than rabbi or teacher. He had become what they believed to be the savior of the world. So think about this courage. It wasn't just like a check and see. If Jesus was there in the tomb, if his doubts were confirmed that Jesus was still dead, then everything that he believed about God and the future would die with it. It's a risk. It's a risk to check to see if God can. Some people never test God because they don't want to be disappointed by him. Because they have bought into the belief that he's too good to be true. Peter not only had divine curiosity, but he had divine courage to go and look at the place where his Savior had been buried, to check and see. And when he checked, there was no body. There was just linen cloths, which is interesting to me because the only thing that remained was the thing that bound Jesus. You know when Jesus changes your life, the only thing that gets left behind is the thing that used to hold you. You're in, the Bible says you're a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Paul said it like this, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal in Christ Jesus. When Jesus changes your life, when he saves your soul, when he gives you hope, the only thing that can't stay on you is the thing that used to bind you. It was courage. For Peter to go and look and see, is he there? Is he really there? Sometimes the absence of something is proof that it's present somewhere else. When wasn't he disappointed Jesus wasn't there? No, he was excited because the fact that his dead body was not there meant that he was living somewhere else. Do you know the best thing you could do on this Easter Sunday is go back to some dead dreams some dead relationships, some dead fears, and just make sure that they're still there or see if they're still there or not. Because my bet is that God wants to bring some resurrection, not only in your soul and to your life, but in some of those areas that you thought were dead and gone and the tomb was sealed and you said you would never visit it again. But maybe you should just go back and look and see if the fear is still there. Maybe God raised up some faith out of your painful situation. Maybe God's raising up a miracle out of something that you thought was dead. And if you never have the curiosity or the courage to look, you'll assume that the goodness of God is too good to be true and you'll live the rest of your life thinking that it's dead as well. You know, it's crazy to me that in each account, Matthew, Mark, 
Luke, and John. There's all kinds of different facts that at first glance you could think could be somewhat contradictory. I remember studying the resurrection years ago and thinking like, look, I mean, this it says women here, it says women there, it says disciples here, it says apostles here. How does it all fit together? And I was reading in John chapter 20, John's account, which, is, which I love John's account because John likes to talk about himself in his account. But he never calls himself by name because he's trying to be humble. But he says, the disciple that Jesus loved. It's just a casual, just, just casual. It's like, I don't know who he was, but there was a disciple that was highly favored. And Jesus loved him a lot. Anyways, back to the story. John, John's this, this guy. And in his account, it says in John 20, verse 1, it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Now, this is the same story that we read in Luke chapter 24. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Okay, so she saw. We know this from Luke 24. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said... They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, hold on. If you remember what we read in Luke chapter 24, it says that the women came to, Simon, to Peter and to John and said that Jesus had risen. And they thought it to be old wives' tales, and they did not believe him. John's account says that Mary runs up to them and says, somebody stole the body. At first glance, you would think it was a contradiction if, unless you understood that Luke, as a doctor, included great detail. John was a different personality, and his gospel is written in consequential or sequential order. It's more chronologically accurate than the other gospels. So he tells us the timeline. So most theologians believe that Mary went out with the other women to the tomb, and when she saw that the stone was rolled away, instead of having curiosity or instead of having courage to look, she ran. While the other women went into the tomb, had an angelic encounter where they spoke to them and said, He is risen. As Mary is running back to Peter and John, she announces to them they stole his body. Theologians believe as she's giving this testimony that the other ladies run up and they say, No, we just saw an angel. And he said he is risen. Can you imagine? Like Peter's like, okay, which one, ladies? Was his body stolen? Or is he raised from the dead? Like, I need to know. So it says that Peter and John ran to the tomb. There was a divine curiosity that began to stir in Peter and John. It's funny in this account, John's account, it says that he went into the tomb and he believed. Remember he wrote it about himself. He wanted to make sure that everybody that read it for all the rest of time knew that there was one disciple that believed and it was him. And it said, and Peter marveled. Which means that Peter was considering. He was starting to understand the revelation that Jesus had rose. But John, John believed. And it says in John chapter 20 that Mary followed at a distance. So she saw the tomb was rolled away and what she saw startled her. She thought and assumed that it was too good to be true that he'd be raised. So they must have stolen his body. 
So they reported to Peter and John. The other women said, no, he's risen. We just saw an angel. He's risen. So Peter and John run to the tomb. They get confirmation that now he is risen. John believes. Peter is believing. And they run off to tell the other disciples. And Mary stays. John chapter 20, verse, I think it is, uh, we started in verse 1, 2, and 3. I think it's verse 11. She's laying there, or she's leaning against the tomb. And the Bible says she's crying. It says that what she thought to be the gardener walked up behind her and asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Saw her tears. Saw her plight. Wasn't angry. Wasn't judgmental. Wasn't mad that she didn't sit around like the other women and saw the angelic visitation. Wasn't angry that she didn't enter into the tomb like Peter and John, but wondered why she was crying. She said, don't you know the events that have happened? Don't you know that this Jesus has been killed and now somebody has stolen his body? She said this to Jesus. And Jesus at that time, John chapter 20, he says her name. He says, Mary. When she hears Jesus say her name, she recognized who he was. I've got really good news for you. Jesus knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been. And he's not judging what could have been or where you should be. He loves you just how you are. He's not judging what you've done in the past. He's wondering why are you crying. And Jesus begins to speak to Mary. And this is, this is so wild. Verse 1 and 2 we read, she said, the body has been stolen. 16 verses later, John chapter 20, verse 18, says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the This is good news, but I'm kind of mad at her too. Right? It's like, you were the one that said his body was stolen. Now all of a sudden, why didn't you believe us when we told you he was risen? Can I tell you, sometimes you got to see for yourself. You might have came to church on this Easter Sunday, and you've heard a lot of good things about God, or maybe you've thought some things about God that haven't been true, or about church, or about churches, or about what God's doing in the world. But I want you to know that this teaching is not just to inform your life for the rest of your life. This teaching is to provoke godly divine curiosity and courage to see for yourself. It's easy to judge Mary and say like, why didn't you, why didn't you just like hang out with the other women? Why'd you have to run off and like spread these rumors? Why'd you have to like, oh yeah, someone stole his body. Someone, if you would have stayed, you would have seen an angel. They would have told you he's risen. You didn't even stay long enough. So we would have just written Mary off like you're out. You're out. You left too soon. That's what religion does, is it excludes people for having a different journey than us. It excludes people for having a different experience than us. But that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't exclude you, doesn't judge you, doesn't remove you because of doubt, because of sin, or because of failures. He's looking for the, the intention of your heart to move towards him. And this is what I found to be true. If you have the curiosity and the courage to get close, Jesus will do the rest. Not perfect, close. 
I remember uh, when I was 16 years old, I had an encounter with Jesus at a service kind of like this at a church. But I have godly parents that raised me to love God and love his church. But it was never mine. It was theirs. And I remember when I was 16 years old and I had this encounter with God. Not crazy where I'm seeing, you know, when you say encounters, like sounds so spooky. I just, I just was, I, was, I knew he was there. I, I felt, I sensed his closeness. And for that, from that day forward, it changed me. Because I knew, I, I saw for myself. I was Mary. Oh, yeah, you know, I think it's this or maybe this or maybe it sounds too good to be true until I saw. And when I saw for myself, it ruined me. I was the one then announcing that he's alive. He changed my life. He saved my soul. There's something that happens when you see for yourself. This is the invitation today. Not that you would just hear facts about the resurrection, but that you would meet the resurrection and the life. His name is Jesus. It's that name that we gather under. It's that name that we lift up. It's that name that we exalt. The name that can save your soul. The name that can heal your heart. The name that can change the trajectory of a nation. The name that can save your family. It's that name. It's that name that we glorify. It's that name that we celebrate. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, hears my curiosity, is that God? Is he calling me? Is that him? Is that curiosity? And opens the door. That's courage. Curiosity hears the knock. Courage opens the door. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I will have relationship with them. If anyone hears my voice, it opens the door. You know, today really is all about as we celebrate the resurrection, it is an invitation to curiosity and courage to hear the voice of God and to open the door of your heart. No matter what season you've been in or you've walked through, whether you've been a believing like the women or maybe you've been a doubter at first like Peter and John or maybe you doubted all along like Mary. If you have the curiosity and the courage to open the door, the Bible says he will come in. He is no respecter of persons, of status, of financial wealth or lack of sin's presence or absence, he says, if there is a heart that wants to come to me, then I will open the door. I will come in and eat with them and they with me. I'm going to tell you this. Today is an invitation. It's an invitation. Lord, I, I think I hear you calling. I think maybe for the first time or maybe you've been serving God for years and just always thought that this or that would be too good to be true and it was hard to believe. Or maybe it was always your grandparents' faith or your parents' faith. But today, maybe you've got the courage to open the door and say, I, I, think, I, might, I think I might take a stab at this. I think I might try this. If you open the door, he says, I will come in and I will eat with you. I will have relationship with you.